Listener Production. It has been a sad and a bad month for billionaire marriages in Australia. Our wealthiest couple, Andrew and Nicola Forrest, recently announced it was over. Then a week later, we learnt that Atlassian founder Mike Cannon-Brooks was splitting up with his wife, Annie, after 13 years of marriage and four children. Then you think of all the high-profile billionaire bust-ups in America. Bill and Melinda Gates... Jeff and Mackenzie Bezos, Elon Musk and several partners, Rupert Murdoch and his four ex-wives. Now, for most couples, financial stress is often cited as a key reason for relationship trouble. This is clearly not an issue for these billionaire couples, so why do they struggle to hold their marriages together? And is there something about these men that is really hard to live with? The ambition is endless. The thirst can never be quenched. They do not stop. Nothing can satisfy them. Mm. Socially, it's very difficult to be around them because it can be, with some people, all about them. We explore the painful dynamics of mega-rich matrimony with one of New York's leading divorce lawyers, Draw Bakel. That is our briefing right after this, today's headlines. Hello, hello, it's Antoinette Latouf on Wednesday, the 2nd of August. And, and first off, we now know that the Matildas will play Denmark in the round of 16, and that's on Monday night in Sydney. And of course, the other huge World Cup news is the TV ratings. So 2.3 million people tuned in for the Matildas' victory over Canada on Monday night. And obviously, that's an incredible result, Tom, because it's almost three times more than the number who watched the final day of the Ashes series that night. Yeah, 2.3 million people. That is a huge Mm. Australian television audience. I think this is a breakthrough moment for women's sport. Oh, it absolutely is. And for so long, we were told they don't have pay parity because people aren't interested. We don't, networkers aren't fighting, falling over themselves Mm. for the rights to broadcast. In addition to the, the viewership, Nike has come out and said that Sam Kerr is the most marketable athlete on the planet at the moment. Wow. And in terms of jerseys, the Matildas sold more jerseys even before they got onto the field than the men's did in the duration and after the mm. World Cup. And so the eyeballs are there. People are willing to pay for merchandise, which is what brings in the big dollars. And even like my daughter, who's never shown an interest in mm. sport, is like, I want to play soccer. I want to play football, soccer, you know, in the words interchangeably. Um, And it's just absolutely obsessed with the game and absolutely obsessed with the Matildas. Yeah, I certainly made sure I was in front of the TV on Monday night. That was an unmissable um, bit of sporting history. And now into the final round of 16 against Denmark on Monday night, probably even more people will tune in. And if the Matildas can, say, get into the finals, Mm -hmm. that would be incredible. And um, defender Claire Hunt actually says they can go all the way. We know that we're capable of it. We know that we're capable of, you know, pushing for a final spot in this tournament. So I think that's just our main focus. Yeah, and I have no doubt, just like my little girl, there are a whole bunch of people who had no interest in soccer before that are absolutely, like, fixed on this and obsessed and absolutely rooting for the Matildas and hoping they'll go all the way. And there's a shocking story about a childcare worker being charged. Today I can outline the details of Operation Tenterfield, an investigation that has led to a former childcare worker being charged with 1,623 child abuse offences 
against 91 children. That's Australian Federal Police Assistant Commissioner Justine Goff announcing the enormous number of the most heinous child abuse charges and the offences are alleged to have occurred at a dozen early learning centres in Brisbane, Sydney and overseas over a 15-year period. Um, police say the man was tracked down after investigators allegedly traced bedsheets pictured in images he posted on the dark web to a Brisbane childcare centre. So the 45-year-old Gold Coast man was arrested in August 2022, but of course he was on the police's radar eight years earlier when he, they first came across him because he'd uploaded abusive material on the dark web. And when he was finally arrested police allegedly discovered a hard drive that was filmed with child abuse material of these young girls. And police allege the man recorded his offending on phones and cameras while working in Brisbane childcare centres. That was between 2007 and 2013 and also at an overseas centre in 2013 and 2014 and the Sydney centre between 2014 and 2017 and again in Brisbane between 2018 and 2022. His victims are young girls and there are allegedly 91 of them. And good news for mortgage holders with the Reserve Bank keeping interest rates on hold for a second month in a row. Economists and money markets are projecting there'll be zero or one more rate rises. They had been talking about two, Mm. so the bets are starting to pair back, which is great news for mortgage holders. It is good news, but we can't forget that there are a whole lot of people who are still yet to come off fixed rates who are yet to feel the real brunt of these Mm. um, successive interest rate rises till now. So I am one of those people. I get off my fixed rate in February. Some welcome relief, but that's obviously off the back of some indication that consumer spending has slowed down. Mm And so has inflation, um, but it's not quite over yet. Yeah, no, it is really scary for those of us who are yet to go off the mortgage cliff. Um, It'll be a really steep drop for a lot of people given Mm -hmm. they've gone up so much. But inflation data has been promising. It's coming off really quickly in the US. Um, It's coming off more slowly here, but it's been coming off more than they expected. So it is on the sort of downward end of those projections, which is good. And a Senate inquiry into foreign influence through social media has found TikTok and WeChat pose the greatest threat to Australia's national security. So the bipartisan committee compiling the report said it was, and to quote, gravely concerned that the information Australians receive on these platforms is being influenced by directions from foreign authoritarian governments. And of course, they mean China because both Mm. TikTok and WeChat are owned by Chinese-based companies. And committee chair, Liberal Senator James Patterson, told Sky News the companies should have a physical presence here in Australia. These very influential global social media platforms who have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Australian users, have no physical, legal or personnel presence in Australia and therefore effectively fall outside the scope of a lot of our laws and regulations. Yeah, look, and that's a fair point because when it comes to Twitter or Meta, they do have headquarters here and they do have to comply with Australian law. The report also found that foreign interference through social media is a real, pervasive and growing threat. Mm. TikTok do have employees here, so I think James Patterson got it wrong there. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, Interesting, they're not calling for an all-out ban on TikTok or WeChat here, but they are saying that um, there should be an extension on the ban of TikTok use on government devices. So that's already in place. Mm. Um, 
This inquiry has recommended they extend the ban to government contractors, workers at airports, electricity providers and banks. So that's interesting. Yeah, and look, the report also damns TikTok for failing to answer basic questions like, what's your relationship with the Chinese Communist Party? Um, I think that's a fair enough. Is that a fair enough thing to ask? Yeah, I think so. It was strange that they didn't answer that question properly. Yeah, and look, I'm just going to put it out there. If we're going to ban some things, like we're talking about banning things, can we also like ban awkward duos dancing? Because that might not be a threat to national security, but it's a threat to my well-being. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, people who do, like there's two people who stand there and do the dances and there's always a new one every week and it's like awkward people dancing on TikTok all the time. That is a threat to my well-being. Okay. And I just think that that should be considered in this ban. What should we do, ban TikTok from your phone? No, no, ban those dances. Okay. (laughs) We'll put that to James Patterson. (laughs) All right, Antoinette, we'll catch you again soon. I'm about to go deep on billionaire divorces. All right, let's talk billionaire bust-ups with Draw Bakel. He's a Manhattan divorce lawyer who's written a book called The 1% Divorce, When Titans Clash. Draw, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. We'll get into your legal expertise, but I, I want to hear a lot about your personal insights into mega-rich couples who end up divorcing. For most normal people, financial problems can be a key stress in a relationship, but for these people, financial stress isn't the same thing. So what do you think are the main reasons why billionaire couples often can't stay together? Billionaire couples don't lack for money, but what they do have acrimony about and what they do have tension about is control. So if you have, for example, and I'll give you the example of the Bezos family, Mm. when Jeff and McKinsey split up, the issue for them was control over Amazon. Who would control the board votes and who would control the shares? Um, When Bill and uh, Melinda Gates split up, the issue was control over their foundations and who would be able to allocate the philanthropic resources for their foundation. So for billionaires, the issue really is not cash on hand because they have more money than they could ever spend in a hundred lifetimes. It's control over companies, control over non-for-profit foundations. And with some families, it's control over collectibles like personal items, like art from historic artists that are part of the fabric of history. You know, some of those well-known artists Mm. and who's going to control the famous Picasso that they may own. So it's, it's that kind of thing that causes acrimony, the control over the assets. Okay. Is is part of the control issue about power as well? Because often in these big, rich, high-profile relationships, it is one of the parties who has generated the large majority of the wealth. And that person, because of that, gets a lot of praise, accolades, and power in society. How do the power dynamics play out in these relationships? Well, you know, that's so interesting you asked that question because just going back to the Bezos divorce, the power dynamic had to do with the control over Amazon because McKinsey Bezos also worked for Amazon and she was there 
from day one when they first started and she mm. worked for the company and she helped him build it but yet he became kind of this icon um this iconic entrepreneur and billionaire right and she was secondary to him what was interesting about their divorce was that the stockholders were very concerned that she would control the board or at least fight with him over control of the board because she had a board vote or two uh, when they separated. But to her credit, actually, she understood that he was excellent at actually running Amazon and that since she was a major shareholder, she might as well give her board vote to him, hmm. not because she was happy you know, necessarily about the divorce, but because that was good for her, the, mm. because he made good decisions about Amazon. So sometimes you're right, it is about the power and the accolades. But when you have somebody who's savvy like McKinsey Bezos, she decided, okay, I have the money, that's not an issue. He's actually good at running Amazon. I might as well give him my controlling vote. So that way he can run Amazon and I can make more money. Mm. I interviewed Melinda Gates once and she talked about uh, basically having to lecture Bill Gates after certain social interactions, like they'd go out for dinner and, you know, everyone would want to hear what he would have to say. And so he would he would feel that and tank up a lot of space in the room, um, sometimes even talking over her. And she told me how she would come away from those situations, sort of having to say to him, look, look, Bill, you may assume that you're the most interesting person in the room, but you need to give other people space. I think about Andrew Forrest in Australia. Um, he has so many interests and, and chases so many projects and has so much to say and tanks up so much um, oxygen, you know, some of it um, very well deserved because he's an expert in, in many fields and had incredible success in the mining of iron ore. Um, you look at Mike Cannon-Brooks, the Atlassian founder here in Australia, um, who became incredibly wealthy from that company, but then took on a range of other interests like renewable energy projects. He even became a part owner in an NBA basketball team. So you have these these people that get a huge amount of success then have other interests and opportunities. And I just wonder where that leaves the other partner. And we all have these domestic bargains in our relationships about who does what on the home front versus who does what outside the home. How do you think those sort of domestic bargains and power dynamics play out for these couples? These kind of um, high-powered, successful billionaires often leave a train wreck of a social life. And the classic example, frankly, is Elon Musk. Mm. I mean, he what doesn't he own, right? Yeah. <laughs> he owns so many foundational, important, cutting-edge companies, and it's nonstop. But socially, it's been very difficult for him. He's been in and out of many relationships. He actually was married to the same woman more than once. And the trail of destruction on his social life is a direct consequence of, I, I'm imagining, his nonstop ambition. And that's what happens with some people. The ambition is endless. The thirst can never be quenched. They do not stop. Nothing can satisfy them. Mm. And socially, it's very difficult to be around them because it can be, with some people, all about them. That's right. And I read a really interesting study from a Canadian psychologist from 2017. Uh, it's from the University of Waterloo. And it found that 
the wealthier someone is, they call it wise bargaining, which basically means empathy in interpersonal conflicts, that these people become more rigid, less empathetic, and less open-minded. The classic example is the wartime general. You can have these great generals that are in charge of tens of thousands of troops. And if they fall apart when one of their soldiers dies, then they're not the right person for Mm. the job. You have to have an emotional detachment. Similarly, a lot of these titans of business are in charge of tens of thousands of employees. Mm. They are sitting on extremely and running extremely important companies, and they're not the type of people they're going to shrink from responsibility or be overly sensitive when things don't go their way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to function because the stakes are so high. So you're right. I think there are some people who can kind of turn it on and off. You would just hope that at least interpersonally in their marriages and with their families, they can exhibit a certain amount of empathy and compassion. But some people struggle with that, and that's men and women. Well, you'd have to wonder if if you're often the most successful or powerful person in the room and people want to hear what you have to say, um, whether you would lose the skill of listening to other people. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, Draw, was how much pain these people feel when it all goes wrong. I, I think, you know, normal people feel like having that amount of money can help you ride through anything. But to be honest, when I thought about Mike Cannon Brooks's breakup and all the the big properties he'd bought over the years, I, I thought, he's going to feel so lonely. You know, he, he owns one of the biggest houses in our city in Sydney. And I imagine he, he built this huge dream of all these properties to, to enjoy with his family, his four kids and his wife. But now potentially he might be spending half of the week alone in a huge house. What have you witnessed when you've met these people firsthand through the divorce settlements you've, you've worked on? How much pain do these people feel in these moments? Is it the same as the rest of us? That's, that's such a great question. It is. It is so excruciating and painful. And the, the actual classic example was um, Steve Jobs, the founder of mm. Apple, right? Because when he passed away from liver cancer, he talked openly about the meaninglessness of all his success. Mm. He said, at the end of the day, it's about love and it's about relationships. And all this money I have and all this fame I have, it really doesn't matter much. What's important in your life, you can't take that to the grave. And what's important are the relationships that you have made and the people that you have helped along the way. A lot of these high-powered, wealthy people they often find the sands beneath them collapsing Mm. when their spouses have had enough. And it's tremendously painful for them, tremendously. That's why so many of them actually end up litigating and fighting. And, you know, there's a lot of acrimony over these separations. It's excruciating for many of them. Drawer, I was really touched by what you said there about Steve Jobs and his comments on, on his deathbed. If you were one of those billionaires that went through a painful family breakup, what might they do differently along the way, along their journey of wealth building, but also the growth of their family and, and the dynamic of their relationship? What do you think those billionaires would want to do 
earlier on that they didn't? One of the things they may want to consider is, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be a billionaire or a multi-billionaire? You know, maybe they don't have to work so hard. Mm. They can invest more time and more energy into their family. And there's still plenty of money to live a nice life. You don't have to be one of the richest people in the world. That's what I would say, looking back on those who spend their time trying to quench an unquenchable thirst for money and power. So if they wound back the ego, because once you've got one, 200 billion, all the other gains are really just about your ego, aren't they? Because the money has no real material consequence at that point. I think that's right. I mean, why did, again, why did Elon Musk buy Twitter? I mean, what, what use does he have for Twitter? You know, free speech? I mean, you know, you know I, he wanted a toy and it, it makes him look important. And, you know, he gets a lot of news coverage over it. But what does he need it for? And it's this well, he's got power, so many hungriness. Well, he's got so many children he could be spending time with and, and adding so much value to their lives by being a good dad. Uh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And he, he tells his employees, you know, they have to put in, you know, hardcore work hours and he's able to do that because he puts in the hardcore work hours. I mean, he's a workaholic right now. It's paid off in some way. He's world famous, but in other ways it hasn't. I mean, I know at least one of his children is estranged from him. He's been through multiple marriages. You know, it, that takes a toll for sure. That was Draw Bickell from the law firm Bickell, Rosenthal and Scharnfeld. And his book is called The 1% Divorce When Titans Clash. And I think he got to some of the emotion of it there, that the pain of the family separation must still cut really deep for these couples. And of course, money can't cushion too much of that fall. Another interesting point there, a challenge a lot of us face is how much we throw ourselves into our careers and our other endeavours versus how much time we put into our family and friends and what will really matter at the end of the day. Listener.